Oh, praise the Lord. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, we're going to, Lord willing, uh, in the morning service, conclude uh, most of chapter 1 of Proverbs. And then this evening, God willing, we'll per, uh, uh, conclude chapter 2. And so all the family camps really going to be a lot out of those uh, first two chapters of Proverbs. And, um, well, I don't want to get into get ahead of myself now, but uh, we learned a lot about our learning uh, and what we're learning, how we're learning, who we're learning it from, and, um, and hopefully we saw some issues in our life with what we're allowing to teach us and who we're allowing to teach us and all of that stuff, and, uh, which that's one of my favorite Bible words, stuff, amen? <laughs> I remember I had an English teacher that, no, you can't use that word. I'm like, David use that word. Amen. That is a Bible word. I like stuff. Amen. And so <laughs> take it up with the Lord anyways, and all that stuff. Amen. Uh, but, uh, but Proverbs three, we're going to learn, we're going to conclude on our learning this morning, as far as, uh, the overall thoughts of, uh, the first several messages. And we're, we're continuing to ask the question, what are you learning? Uh, but uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, these first four verses, uh, the, the, the Word of God says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, help us as we look into your Word, please. And Father, I pray that you would help us, dear God, to see the importance of your instruction in our life and how that uh, the devil has fought tremendously since the garden to damage your instruction, to drown out your instruction, to question your instruction, to set your instruction at naught, and to help us or hurt us really by making us think uh, that your instruction isn't all that important. And God, I pray you'd help us to realize that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of your mouth. And that would be this King James Bible that we have today. And Father, help us to desire it more than honey. Help us to desire it more than our necessary food. Help us to love it more than our silver and our gold. And God, I pray that you would help us to live by your word and be people of the book that our families once again might rise up in strength and be the armies that you would have them to be. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, so uh, we're going to look this morning at the thought of bind them. We've learned a lot at camp over this week and up on the, up on the mountain there. And uh, the Lord has really spoken to my heart uh, through studying this. And I know in my family we've discussed some of these things and it's really touched the hearts. And, uh, and so there's been a lot of data given, a lot of information given. Now what do we do with it? Well, he says here, uh, he says here in verse, uh, what is it, verse 3, he says in the middle of the verse, bind them, bind them. He's speaking of uh, mercy and truth, okay? And I'm not going to get ahead of myself. We'll get to verse 3 when it's time to get to verse 3. But truth is Jesus Christ. Truth is not just a bit of information. Truth is an individual. He is the living word. He's given us the written word. And Jesus Christ, his word should be bound upon our hearts. 
That doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen by coincidence. That doesn't happen by assimilation nor osmosis. That is a purposeful, intentful operation that we do. He doesn't say bind them upon thy head. He doesn't say bind it in your brain. He says bind it on your heart. The issue of everything that we've been dealing with since day one of family camp is your heart. Because your heart controls what you're going to learn, how you're going to learn it, who you're going to learn from, who's going to be the influence in your life, who you're, who you're going to allow to, to have that type of authority, and then the decisions you're going to make based upon all of that stuff. It all has to do with the heart. And that's why... In Proverbs, again, Solomon writing to his son Rehoboam and God speaking to us says, my son, give me thine heart. I promise you this morning, God does not own our heart. If he did, we would not need revival. If he did, we could say like Paul, I am clean from the blood of all men because I've never failed to witness to anybody. Hello? Hello? Can we come to a reality that we wish God had our hearts, we hope God would, ha- would have our hearts, but he doesn't have our heart because we're still holding on. He says, my son, give me thine heart. So, it, th- so much this week, a lot of reminders, encouraging and things, and verses one and two, we're gonna get into this this morning, and we begin with the reminder that's given. And uh, I've not fully gone over the first two chapters. We're going to cover most of these uh, just the way the Lord has it laid out. But I believe that we've got enough on the, what, how we're learning and such. But uh, verses 1 and 2, he says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Forget not my law. See, there's a reminder given in the first two verses And this reminder is extended to us about the things that we've already learned, the stuff that we already know. How many of us have sat in church for year after year after year, and we've heard message after message after message, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to us, and we've read our Bibles, and the Lord has convicted us about things, and there's so much that we have acquired, accumulated, that has has been delivered to us, and he says, hey, forget not. He says, hey, you need to remember these things. Listen, we can, we can forget them by the time we get to the parking lot. Wait, what was the message on this morning? Monday, you're at work, and uh, someone's like, hey, text you, that was a great message yesterday. They're like, oh, yeah, what was it on? Oh, man, yeah, it was really good. What was it? Huh, yeah. And by the way, I won't stop on the technology thing, amen. Uh, we don't remember our phone numbers anymore, you know? I was talking to somebody recently. I don't know if it was one of the guys here or not. Uh, I remember my phone number from 1983. I remember my address. We lived at 22 Malden Avenue, Sanford, Maine, and my phone number was 3241659, and that's a 207 area code in the state of Maine. But I don't know my daughter's phone number now. (laughs) Amen. How do I remember? Because the way we're learning and what we're learning, those priorities, those influences are all changing and technology is having an impact on that. Uh, And it's not just with the youth, grandma and grandpa. A lot of grandmas out there spending their days playing Angry Bird and not praying for their grandkids. Brother Chavez was just sharing with me in the lobby. Thanks for the, thanks for the ammo, brother. (laughs) He went, he went somewhere to get a bagel and uh, looks over, and there's like three 
senior citizens sitting at a table and they're all taking pictures of their food to post. And he's thinking, aren't you a little too old for that, amen? <laughs> now, he was thinking that, no, no. <laughs> I'm thinking, why are we posting pictures of food? Well, I gotta have Facebook, that's how I keep up with the grandkids. No, that's how you post pictures of food. And why is this important? Hello? But you took time to learn how to do that. Somebody taught you, you had to be the student, someone was the instructor, and see, we're receiving this instruction, and as I've said, up and up in the mountain, we become a wealth of useless knowledge. I promise you, when the grandkids get in that car accident, knowing how to post a picture of lunch on Facebook won't matter at all. Yeah. Purposing. Underneath our reminder in these first two verses, there must be a purposing. He says, my son, forget not my law. Don't forget it. And then he says this, let thine heart keep. So forget not and keep, that is a purposeful act as I've stated. Uh, I've shared this with with you before, church, and I'll remind you of it again, that uh, there's a false narrative out there in Christianity that says God forgets our sins. Oh, it got quiet there. You forgot when I've shared this with you before? God does not forget our sins. The Bible does not say he forgets our sins. Show me chapter and verse. I'll show you chapter and verse where it says he willfully, purposefully chooses to remember them no more. See, I forget where my keys are. That's weakness. That's mental weakness, right? I forget where my glasses are. (laughs) Right? Forgetting is a weakness. Is God weak? So then how can he forget anything? But if he, out of love and out of a personal relationship, chooses, I will not remember your sin anymore. That's completely different. Listen, we've got to on purpose choose to not forget what we've been taught because the weakness and our sin nature and the uh, fallibility of man it is easy for us to forget things it is easy that's why repetition is the key to learning amen that's why sometimes in your daily bible reading you should read the same thing on tuesday that you did on monday why because you didn't get anything monday and then wednesday just read it again because you still ain't getting it amen but I won't keep up with the schedule. You're not reading it to check a box. You're reading it to have a relationship. Amen? How many times with your spouse have you sat there for a day trying to say things at each other and you're trying to find a different way to say it and you're still trying to get the same data communicated and you can't get it communicated because you can't understand what the other's saying? And at the end, you're like, well, we're saying the same thing. Wait. Yeah. See, you got to keep trying. You got to keep going. It's about a relationship. We need a purpose to not forget. Purpose to not forget. And so whether it's taking notes in church, I was talking to a brother this, the, the, uh, up on the mountain, and I've got in my house, I've got, uh, I don't know, I think it's eight years. I think it's eight years worth of church notebooks Every sermon I heard preached from special meetings to revivals, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I was taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. Why? Because I needed to remember it and I needed to not forget. 
And I still to this day go back over. I go back to that stack of notebooks and I'm like, look at what God taught me. My brain's not even this big. I mean, I got this, I'm like, how does this stuff, and how come I can find it on a shelf, but I can't find it in here sometimes? We need to purpose to not forget what God has taught us. Listen, folks, hopefully you don't forget where you laid your wedding ring, your driver's license, your carry pistol. Oh, I just forgot where I put it down. No, we don't usually forget things that are valuable, I get it. I forgot where I parked my car, and it's valuable. Well, we all get there, amen? That's <laughs> why so I like having the big, ugly truck out there. <laughs> like, I can spot it from a mile away. But I'm just telling you, we, we don't typically forget what's valuable to us. But what did Pastor preach on last week? Hmm? Last Sunday night, what was the message about? Hmm? Well, there's been so much time since then. 207-324-1659. Amen. Yeah, I haven't had that number in 30 years. Oh, 35, well, yeah, almost 35 years I haven't had that phone number. Amen. But I remember it. Why? Repetition is the key to learning. It was important to me. Mom and dad told me to remember it. I had to memorize it. It stuck. It was there. I'm just telling you, folks, we need to purpose to not forget and keep. That has to do with guarding, does it not? I shared the verse up, up, up at camp, keep that heart with all diligence. That is to protect. We do protect that which is valuable. Amen? Do you got a checking account or you just leave the cash on the front lawn? Amen? No, we per, it's in a bank. Yeah, in the shoebox, in the lobby. No, it's in a vault. Behind steel, rebar, concrete, alarms. Why? Because we protect what's valuable. Well, where's God's word? <laughs> Is it as valuable as the money we have in the bank? Think about it, folks. There's a purposing, the practice. Look at what he says here. And we're going to talk about this a lot this morning in the morning service as we talk about our living from what we've learned but also here in verses 1 and 2, he talks about our practice, but he says, let thine heart keep my commandments. So not only are we not to forget, but as far as our heart keeping it, he says that word let. And that has to do with our practices, our daily practice. So yes, I'll stand here and say it's got to be value to us. We've got to protect it. But how do you protect it now? Go over it. Did you ever think about talking about something that happened on Sunday on Sunday afternoon? We go home and sit down with the family for lunch and we talk about what we're doing tomorrow, what happened yesterday. How about talking about the morning service? How about not putting, turning on the game and how about talking with the family about what the preacher preached, what the kids learned in Sunday school? How about actually talking about something valuable? See, we've got to put it into practice and, and it's not just talking about it, but then it's living it out. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves that keeps coming up a lot and again uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit there with that because that's a lot of this morning's message so and then in, in verse two he also uh, as far as the reminder goes it, it's a reminder of the peace and the and the and the protection that we're gonna get he says for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee shall what add to thee 
shall the word of God, the teachings, the mercy and truth. Uh, mercy and truth hath, 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 tust, hath, hath kissed each other. That's prophecy of the Messiah. That's talking about the chosen one. That's talking about our Savior. That's Jesus Christ. He says, let not Jesus forsake you. Now listen, he's not talking about Jesus doing the forsaking. He's talking in context about us doing the forgetting and letting it just be gone from us. That means for it to abandon us, to flee from us, to leave us and to be gone. And what happens? Why does that happen? Because we choose another way in life. We choose our path. Well, I think I ought to do that. I think this is okay. And I think God will just have to accept this. You're going to have a rude awakening. And listen, some of you may be confused with that, but I promise you a lot of Christians have that mentality. You think God's just going to have to accept the movies you watch at home. You're going to find out he never accepted any of them. Amen. One of the things, one of the big things that, that like makes me want to bash my head into a cinder block multiple times is the Sturgis rally. Let me explain. It is the one time a year I'm around the most people that love the honky tonk. Right? Let me further explain. These people are now in their 50s and 60s and yay 70s and a few 80s. And for decades of their lives, they have poured money out of their pockets. They have gone and sweat, risked their lives, worked jobs, been veterans, risked their lives in warfare to earn money. And they pay it out and they go to these concerts and buy these albums and they listen to this music that goes against everything that they stand for and believe politically. All of these rock and rollers, they love abortion. They love uh, all of the garbage. And you sit down and talk with the people, and they don't go for that stuff. And you're like, but you support it. Oh. Can I tell you? I just want to go, oh, 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 oh. What is the matter? And how many Americans? You got conservatives out there that actually buy tickets to this stuff and buy these albums and buy the movies? And do you know what they support? You know what you're funding? And you say you're against it? Hmm. Hmm. We're going to find out God's going to show us this stuff. And it won't just be, oh, that preacher that came in for family camp up there saying it. <laughs> yeah. I promise you, you're going to find God revealing it to you, and you'll have not to answer. And you're going to realize how many tens of thousands of dollars you poured into everything that's against this book. See, he can add the peace and he can add the long life. How many of us would stand here and say, well, I have just enough peace in life. I don't want any more. Well, Stay close to him, stay close to his word, bind it upon your heart, live after it, and watch the peace get added. These are added things into our life that God wants to add, peace and long life, amen? Long life's pretty good, hallelujah, amen? Better move on, verse three. Verse three, we see the requirement that he puts forth. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck and write them upon the table of thine heart. You see, we, we see here again, it's the keeping, 
It's that, it's that law, it's the commandments of God, and we're not to forsake them, we're not to le- let them go away from us, but he says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. That means we're to pursue after them. And I mentioned it earlier and got, got excited, got ahead of myself, but forsake has to do with abandon or leave. Don't let it leave. Grieve not the Holy Ghost of God. Quench not the Spirit. Don't let them leave. Why would they leave? Because our sins have separated us from our God and my sins have built a wall of separation. My wrong thinking, my wrong learning, my wrong philosophies, my wrong ideologies and they've built this wall of separation and then I stand there in life struggling, feeling alone, going, where's God? I feel like he's left me and forsaken me. He didn't build the wall. We did with our daily choices. Because we chose. I've shared this with you before. (laughs) Here we go again. In Hebrews chapter 11, you read about Sarah. And it says, Sarah received received strength to conceive seed because she judged him faithful. And what God taught me through that is, every day, every single one of us judge God. Sarah judged God. How do you judge God? When you wake up every morning and you put on your black robe and you get up on your bench and you sit there and you put God Almighty on trial and you judge him whether or not he's worthy of your time this morning to pick his book up and read it. And you judge. And you judge him every day whether or not he's worthy enough for you to spend any time praying to him. And you sit on the bench and you put God Almighty on trial. So how do you judge God? Every human being does every day. You can't get around it. We do throughout the day. Holy Spirit says, give them the track. Go talk to them. I judge you're not worthy of that. Go to church every service. I judge you're not worthy of that. You judge. You can sit there and deny it all you want, but the Bible facts are facts, and you can't, there's nothing you can do against the truth, only for the truth. There's a pursuit. We need to pursue after the power. I want you to seize this the power. Bind them about thy neck. Thy neck is a symbol, the, the neck is a symbol of strength. The Bible talks about the horse's neck and man's neck. It's a symbol of strength. But listen, the strength isn't from man. The strength is from God. So it is bind them about thy neck. Why? Because my neck's weak. My strength is weak without him. But when I take a hold of him and I submit to him and I yield to him, then I am strong in him. And then he says, he says, write them upon. He doesn't just say your heart. You're the table of your heart. Why does God use the word he uses? Why did he have to say table? Did he just mean flat surface? Study words. You know, a table is a place of stability. It's a place of familiarity. It's a place of foundation. That's why family meals at the table are important. Hey, man, you know, I don't know how big the table's going to be, but one day there's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb. I'm going to be there, and I'm excited about it. Hope you're there too, amen? We can all be if we choose. Fact of the matter is, we're going to be at a table, 
Amen? He's preparing a meal. He's spreading the table. He's making the table ready. And listen, everyone is born again. He's like, I've got to make this table a little bigger. Got to make this table a little bigger. Hey, he says, write them upon the table of thine heart. When things start going stressful, when things start going sideways, what do you turn to? Your pathetic temper? Your pathetic, weak, anemic temper? Men still yell. You can't stop it. Yeah, that's really worked over the years, hasn't it? Hmm? Oh, how many men struggle with their temper and they think it's some kind of power. It's pathetic weakness. He that hath no control over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You got no defense. The devil just walks in and goes, <laughs> weakling, and you're angry. Do you see the pull out front of me? Yeah. So what? So you're actually going to be 15 seconds later to Walmart. <laughs> yeah. But you showed that world, I go to temper because I can be ungodly. Really? Come on now. You see, the table is a place of familiarity. The neck is a place of strength. And we're relying on self and not God and his word. He says, bind them about thy neck. Trust in God and his word for your strength. When things go sideways, we need to revert to him and his word and think biblically. Got any athletes in here? Sports players? Mm. Amen, brother. You realize conditioning isn't as much about the physical as it is the mental? The championship teams are championship teams not because they have physical superiority, but because in the fourth quarter with two minutes left, they are as mentally sharp then as they are in the first quarter when the game started. But Christians, how spiritually sharp are you when they cut you off in traffic? fatigued, all worn out because I had a hard day at work. Really? Jesus never had a hard day at work, huh? I'm sure the apostles never had a hard day at work. Huh? I'm sure Christians never had a hard... Listen, oh, caught God by... Oh, you know, you're, you're excused from your temper today. Caught God by surprise. He didn't realize you'd have a hard day at work. Come on, folks. There's a reason why the world looks at Christianity today and goes, it's pathetic. We want nothing to do with it. It's weak. There's a reason why the young generations would rather hang off a cliff with no safety line by their fingertips than go to a church. You think about that. You older generation, you want to complain about the kids so much. Look at some of the stuff they're doing. I watched this guy jump out of a hot air balloon from like over, I don't know, it was like 20, maybe around 20,000 feet. He had no parachute on. No parachute on. And two guys did it. One of the guys landed in a net. Seriously, all the way to the, he landed in a net. I'm like, you're nuts. But you think that's mentally weak? You think, listen, they're, they're hunger. They want something. They want power. They're looking for something in life. And what our brand of Christianity is ain't giving it to them and ain't offering it to them. We're like, well, you know, you just do what you want to do and God will just have to take care of it and whoa, 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 whoa. The other guy jumped out of the hot air balloon and his friends had the parachutes. (gasps) 
I love you, brother. I'd never trust you that much. <laughs> Amen. I'm just telling you. You look at what they're doing out there and they're risking their very lives for an excitement and a thrill. You want a thrill? Go lead someone to Christ. Amen. You want a thrill? Conquer your temper. I can testify that. Woo! That's a, that's a, that's a mighty powerful feeling. Oh, amen. We were having more fun up on the mountain. Amen. <laughs> Requirements in verse 3. Listen, we see, the, we see that neck is the power, but the place is the table of thine heart. That's the place, folks. God's word's got to get in your heart. That place of familiarity, of stability, that place of foundation. So the automatic default setting is when something happens in life, turn to the word. When you open that paycheck up and it's not what it ought to be, you turn to the word. When you open that letter in the mail and the doctor says this, you turn to the word. When you open that letter up in the mail and it says foreclosure or bank or whatever, you turn to the word. And when the heartache comes and the deep valley comes and the difficult time comes, you turn to the word, not to self. But when it's not written on the table of your heart, it's just up in your head and stuff. Yeah, yeah, them people down at the church. Hmm? Verse 4, the reward. Mm -hmm. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. There is a reward. And I promise you the rewards of God are better than the rewards of man. You cannot give yourself what God can give you. The complexity is amazing because no man yet ever hated his own flesh. We love ourselves. That's why we have a temper. Because we are absolutely in love with ourselves. Most men, you're more in love with yourself than you are your wife. That's why you don't sweep the kitchen floor. That's why you don't do the dishes. That's why you don't help with the laundry. You just go click. 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 Well, she does the work. Because you love yourself more than you love your wife. Be careful. Be very careful. And yet, God loves us more. And He has a reward for those that will actually put it in their heart. When we allow the Word of God to be the guide, when we allow the Word of God to be the source, then all of a sudden, God steps in and he starts doing a work in our life. You can't do it on your own. There's too many churches in existence in America today that are growing and expanding and thriving because of man's work and man's power. Mm -hmm. You got them in this city. Most of them are just a business. They're a business model. You follow the business model, you'll get people in. Great. And what good does that do? No good. Because people don't see the power of God. And yet, as I shared up on the mountain, Pastor Furs was telling us that he talked to a, 
missionary to Afghanistan, and though the Christians are being killed by the Taliban today, the churches are growing today. You willing to lay down your life for your faith? We can't even get here every time the doors are open. No wonder they don't respect us. We can't even share with the young people what we got from the word of God yesterday. Can't even share with our grandkids what we learned from God this week. And we think we're going to lay down our life for our faith. Examine yourself to see whether you've been in the faith. See, I want my reward in life to come from God, not just the reward after this life. Most people are looking for the reward after this life, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. I need some fire insurance. I'm going to get saved. I'm going to go to that church. Great. But you don't want any of his rewards in this life? Well, when I learn about them, and I think they were, you know, yeah, 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 I want. Yeah, you want the side effects and the benefits, but you don't want to put in the work. And then you'll turn around and complain about young people or other people living on welfare and being lazy. Come on. America is staunch with welfare Christianity. I showed up. Bless me, God. Pray for me. God's not blessing me enough. Our forefathers laid down their lives for their faith. Pastors preached about Baptist history and such, but... I was sharing with him about the Waldensies. I don't know how much he did during the Middle Ages and stuff. The Waldensies are, are an awesome group of people. For 1,400 years, they're the only faith known to have lasted that long on the planet. For 1,400 years, they kept the faith through Europe while they were being hunted by the Jesuit priests like dogs and being slaughtered in groves, and their bodies were being burned on stakes, lining the, mount, lining the roads through the Swiss Alps for miles with the burning bodies of the Waldenses. And every time they would go to witness to a neighbor, go to sell goods to somebody and witness to them while they were doing it, they were risking their very lives and the lives of their family to do so, and yet they continued for 1,400 years. How do you do that without converts? We can't even get Baptists to show up for Saturday soul winning, let alone risk your life to give the gospel. Can I tell you, Christianity, true Christianity in America is a pathetic example of what God intended it to be. I know this isn't fun for Sunday school, but the problem is, is it's become what we've learned and what we've accepted and what we've allowed in our home, and it's how we train our children and have trained our young people. It's all about you guys as long as you have fun and get all the toys you want, and as long as you're comfortable, God's got to be happy with that, and then we just come to church and you know do a few things here and there, and just everything will be peachy. Wrong. We're supposed to... Present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service. It's only reasonable if we show up every time the doors are open. It's only reasonable if we sing from the heart every time we sing the song. It's only reasonable that we go to the altar and beg God to change us every time the message is preached. It's only reasonable. We've got a lot of unreasonable Christians. The reward, there's a privilege. We find favor and good understanding with God and man. What a privilege that is. 
Favor with God is a wonderful thing. I've watched how God's protected and provided for my family, and time would fail me. Come talk to me. I'll let you know. But the perceptions, look at this. Find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Both God and man will change the way they look at us when we start binding that word upon our neck and writing it on the table of our heart. When we start funneling what we learn through the word of God and shut off the junk and follow after him and get real with God, we get looked at different. The perception of our lives, all of a sudden now, we are a living testimony. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an account to any man that asketh you a reason for the hope that lieth within. When's the last time someone asked you about your hope? It's what the verse insinuates, right? That if you're a Christian, though God makes it rain on the just and the unjust, your life will be so dramatically different and shine as such a testimony to God that when the world sees you live your life, they'll say, tell me about the hope you have. What, what, what do you have? When's the last time someone asked you about that hope you have? Or can they see any hope at all? The partnership, you'll, you'll get favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Did you know that God lists things in the scripture in order on purpose? It's more important that I have favor and good understanding with God than it is with man. But if I have it with God, I'll get it with man. Most of us are looking for favor and good understanding with man and wonder why we don't have it with God. I want my boss to favor me and have good understanding, my neighbor, my wife, my this, my that. We want it with these human relations, but we forget about it with God. That's why I'm not here to be your friend. I want favor with God. I'm just being honest with you. I don't like the message any more than you do. The message is just as convicting, if not more, to me. I've had to study this for weeks. I've prayed and fasted over this. But these are facts. And I want favor with God. So what changes are we going to make? What are we going to do about this? How are we going to write them on the table of our heart? How are we going to shut off the noise? People don't plan to fail, but they fail to plan. Some of you haven't cut down on that screen time yet. Some of you haven't deleted some of them social media apps yet. Hmm? You haven't done it yet. Why? You're not making a plan. Some of you haven't increased how much time you're spending in this yet. Father, help us. Lord, how we need to find favor with you. God, I pray you'd help us to bind your word, your truth upon our hearts, about our necks, and to write it on the table of our hearts. And God, I pray you'd help us to stop playing church and playing Christianity and being so weak-kneed that we got men that come to church because their wifey wants them to. God, I pray you'd help us to get a backbone once again in our churches and to stand up, to surrender our lives and to do something for you before we get the opposite of favor and good understanding with you. And we start getting some chastisement and judgment.
Father, I pray you'd help us today to see where the learning has been wrong and to start learning from the right. Well, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.